Amen. Well, good morning, Haynes Creek, and have a seat. It's good to be with you this morning. As I said, my name is Travis, I'm the pastor here. If it is your first time, say a special welcome to you. We are excited and thrilled that you are here worshiping with us this morning, and uh, we would love a chance just to express our gratitude and say thank you so much for your visits. If you do me a huge favor, stop by that table right outside as you exit. We have a free gift we'd love to put in your hands today. Uh, there's also a little card that says, welcome on, if you don't mind filling that out. Those come back to me, and it just gives me a chance to reach out and say thank you. So if you could do that for me, I would really appreciate that. And in church, we're going to continue on walking through our, our series, going verse by verse through the New Testament book of Philippians. So today we're going to look at uh, Philippians 1, 9 through 11. So we're going to finish out uh, looking at Paul's opening remarks. These first 11 verses of Philippians are really uh, just kind of the introductory paragraph to Paul's letter where he's really just kind of setting the tone and the stage for where he's going to go in the bulk of the letter. So we're going to finish that out today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 1. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we'll have the verses on the screen behind me, but we also have Bibles on our table. Please grab one of those as our gift to you before you head home. Uh, please, please take one of those. So Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. As you're turning there, uh, I want you to kind of think back, uh, maybe, maybe a little bit further back, maybe when you were younger, were there some things in your life that you had planned, that maybe you wanted to do with your life, you wanted to be, you wanted to, to grow up and do this, right? We, we kind of all have that. I mean, I even see it in, in my little kids. They're, they're always talking about, well, dad, when I grow up, I'm going to do this, 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 or this. And, you know, it changes every single day, almost week to week. It's always something new, especially with my son, Zayden. He's, uh, he's always like into big trucks and construction and tow trucks and mechanic stuff. Like he just loves that. So whatever new thing he's into, like that's what he wants to be. So it's like, ah, firefighter, paramedic, tow truck, anything along those lines. Recently, he was like, I'm going to be a lumberjack. And I was like, Okay, don't know where that came from, but sounds great. You want to grow up and cut down trees. Sounds great, buddy. And and my wife, we were at the table, and she was sitting there, she's like, well, where are you going to live? Zane, where are you going to live to go do this? And he was just like, no thinking about it whatsoever. He's like, well, I'm going to live with you. I'm going to live with y'all. I'm going to be at home with you. Like, he just can't, couldn't understand a world and a concept of him ever living not with us. And my wife was like, oh, that's so sweet. I was like, no, you're going to get out of my house at some point, kid. Not now, but at some point you're going to. But, you know, they, they have these things and these visions, these plans, and, and we have that too, right? And even as parents, like, I have things that I want for my kids that I'm praying for that I want to see happen in their lives, right? And when we come to the, the opening remarks of Philippians where Paul ends this, is with a specific prayer over the Philippians. And in this prayer, it's really uh, almost kind of a a parental mindset we see with Paul. Like he is praying for these specific things, for for this, this life that he wants to see the Philippians live. And it's this prayer that, that we can apply to our lives as well. So let's go ahead and, and jump into that and, and dig into it here. I'm actually going gonna, gonna to back up all the way to verse 1. We've been really zooming in closely to these opening remarks. So I want to I zoom back out. Let's read from starting in verse 1 all the way through 11 and get a full picture of what Paul is saying here before we, we really focus in on verses 9 through 11. So starting in verse 1, Paul writes this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 
Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart. And you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And here's where we're going to focus our time today, verse 9. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and in every kind of discernment, so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So Paul here ends his opening remarks, his opening kind of statement in this letter with a specific prayer over the Philippians, right? We've seen him express his gratitude. He's expressed his love and compassion and concern for the Philippian people, and now he's going to pray over them. And I mean, this is just another way for him to show how much he deeply cares about the Philippians by this prayer over them. And sure, it's a specific prayer to the Philippians, and that matters, but it's also a prayer that we can apply to ourselves. Because in this prayer, like, like I said, Paul is, is praying for a certain type of life for the Philippians, a certain, thing, certain things for their lives to have and to be about as a follower of Jesus. And these are things that, that we can pray for and should be praying for for our lives and for fellow believers around us. And in this prayer, we've already established, right, that Paul is certain about who the Philippians are in Christ. Like, he knows and he's certain that they are saints, right? We already, he's called them saints. He's sure that, they, that Jesus is going to complete the work in them. Like, these are believers. So he's not praying that they would become believers. What he's praying here is saying, you're living for Jesus already, and I want you to continue to do that, and I'm going to pray for even, even more. I want you to, to even more than you already are live for Jesus. That's the kind of life that Paul is praying for the Philippians. It's the kind of life that we should be praying for ourselves and what we should be praying for for those around us. So let's, let's zoom in here a little bit more into this prayer. There's three things I want to point out about the kind of life that Paul is praying for the Philippians and for us to have. So first thing, if you're taking notes, first thing that Paul prays for, the, the kind of life that he prays for, is a growing life. We are to have a growing life. This is Paul's first big request for the Philippians, that they would have a life of growth. And he's praying for growth in specific areas. We're going to get into in a second. Four specific areas that he's praying for growth in for these Philippian believers. But, but as, as believers, our lives should be marked with growth, right? We see this all throughout Scripture. Over the course of our lives, if we are a follower of Jesus, our lives should be marked with a, a growing closer to Jesus each and every day. Now, it might not always feel that way, right? Like some days it feels like, man, I'm really growing today. And then other days it feel like, man, I just took like 25 steps back. So, you know, day to day, it kind of looks like a roller coaster. But, but for believers, when we zoom out, we should be able to say, man, a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, I, I was here spiritually. And now, now I've grown closer to Jesus. I've grown to be more like Jesus. That's the goal for us as believers. We are to have a life of growth. We're not to stay stagnant. We're not to stay the same. That's not what Christ wants for us. He wants us to have a life of growth. So what are these areas that Paul is praying for growth? And let's look at verses 9 through 10 again. He says, And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and in every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior. So the first area that, that he prays for growth or increase in is love. Love. He says that, uh, he prays that, that your love would keep on 
growing. So Paul starts with love, as he does so often, right? Love is, is central to the life of a believer. I mean, we see this over and over again through Scripture. We are to have love. We're to love God. We're to love others, right? Like, that's, that's the two greatest commandments, right? When Jesus asks, what's the greatest commandment? He says, well, there's two, and they, they revolve around love. We are to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we are to love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves, the two greatest things that we are to devote our lives to, and it's all wrapped up in love, love of God and love of others. So which one is Paul talking about here? When he, when he says that we're to keep on growing in love, is he talking about our love for God? Is he talking about love for others? And I would say the answer to that is, is yes, both of them, both of them. Now, a lot of Bible scholars will say, no, he's specifically talking about love for others, which Paul does frequently throughout his letters. We see this over and over and over again. But I I think it's, it's intentional that Paul doesn't give an object to the love, right? Like so often he says, love for one another. He has no problem saying that, but, but he doesn't here. And I think he's intentionally saying, no, it's love for everything. It's, it's love for both, love for God and love for others. And what we see in scripture is those two things are so connected. We can't truly love God if we're not loving others the way that we're supposed to. We can't truly love other people the way God intends without first loving him and devoting our lives to him. These are connected. It's both. Should our love grow for God or for others? Both, right? That's the answer. That's what Paul is praying here. And I love how he says it here. He says that he wants our love to keep on growing. Maybe other translations have the word abound there. The literal translation, what the word for word translation would be is, is abound still more and more, which is kind of a mouthful. Nobody really says that. So that's why we translate it keep on growing because that's the idea is that our love would keep on growing. But that word for grow, that word for abound, means to have uh, an excess of it. It means to grow to the point where it's excessive. So what Paul is saying here is he's saying that that our love should grow to the amount where where it's too much. Paul wants it to be like somebody's telling you, hey, you got got too much love for God. You got too much love for others. Like that's the point that he's getting at. Our, Our love should grow to the point where it's just overflowing. It's so much, it just consumes every part of who we are. I've told you guys this, we have a, we have a dog, and, and me and the dog are, you know, we have a, a love-hate relationship. The dog loves me, and I very much don't like her very, very often. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. We're working things out. We're, we're getting there. But one of the things about our dog, which we love, is that she is just such a good companion dog. Like, just has this, wants to be friends with everybody. Like, just anybody that she meets, she, she just wants to be best friends with anybody that she comes in contact with. But it's, it's like it's, it's too much sometimes. So, like, when you get home, she's so excited to see you, and we're working with her to, like, not jump up and be, you know, she's doing good with that. But she just wants you to shower her with love and affection. And so, you know, you do. You bend down, you pet the dog, you greet the dog. But then after a little bit, like, it's like, okay, I've, I've, I've said hi to you. Now it's time to, to do whatever I'm going to do. And she's like, no, 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 I want more. I want more of your love. I want more of your attention. Like, it's never enough. You could sit there and pet the dog for two hours, and as soon as you're done, she'll be jumping at you for more. Like, she has an excessive amount of love for you. And like, that's what Paul's praying for here. He wants you to get to the point where it's like, okay, bro, like, too much. Chill out with that love. Like, calm down with the love. Like, that's what he's praying for. Like, your, our love would just be so much. It would just overflow for love of God, for love of other people. That's what he's praying for here. That's what our love's to look like. And, and it's, it's a love that goes beyond what we saw last week. Like, we already saw that Paul has this affection or compassion for the Philippians. When we see love talked about in the New Testament, it's, yes, that's part of it, but it, but it goes beyond just 
feelings. It goes beyond just having love for somebody or having compassion or affection for someone, for God. It's an, it's an active love. When the New Testament talks about love, it talks about this active love that is demonstrated through our lives and actions. So when we talk about growing in love and having love for God and love for others that, that overflows, it's supposed to overflow in how we live and how we interact with God, how we interact with others. That's the kind of love that we're talking about here. So when Paul says for our love to abound or our love to grow, this is the idea that he's getting at. So he prays first that our love would grow. Next, he prays that, that our knowledge would grow. So he says, and I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge. Knowledge. And look, the, these, these items that we're going to talk about, they're all connected. So when he prays for love to grow, he doesn't mean that only love could grow and, and not your knowledge. That's not what we know. They're all supposed to grow. They're all supposed to increase. That's the idea that we're getting here with Paul's prayer. So we are to love, or we are to grow in our love, and we are to grow in our knowledge. Uh, the word for knowledge here that Paul's getting at could be translated full knowledge. Full knowledge. It's a knowledge that comes from experience and personal relationship. And, and what, what kind of knowledge are we to grow in? It's our knowledge of God. It's our knowledge of God. So when Paul says, I want your, you to have a full knowledge of God, he, he's going from, I want you to know things about God, to I want you to truly know God. It's kind of like this. If you gave me, you know, if I asked, who are you? And you gave me this kind of biographical statement of facts about who you are, I, I could memorize that. And if somebody was like, hey, tell me about Ben, I could give you a list of facts about Ben. Now that tells you that I know certain things about him, but do I truly know him? Well, no, because I have to move beyond just the knowledge and memorization of facts to truly know somebody. That, that comes through, through experience and, and a deep personal relationship. I can't get to know you. I, I can't say that I know you if I just know things about you, right? That, that's what we're getting at here. Too often, I think we, we can just live and stay with, I know things about God. We know certain theological things. We know certain doctrinal things. We can list a bunch of facts about who God is, but do we know him? Do we know him or do we just know things about him? See, Paul's praying that we would truly know God. And that, that only comes through time with him. If you want to truly know God, you've got to spend time with God beyond just even just a once a week gathering at church. Like it's got to be more than that. It's got to be more than that. We've got to be spending time in prayer and in the word and, and devoting ourselves to these things we spent all summer talking about, these personal spiritual disciplines that we de dealt with this summer. Like that, those are the avenues, that's the means that God has given us to know him, to move beyond I know things about him to I truly know God. That's what Paul's getting at here. That's what he's praying for, that we would know him. We see something similar in Colossians 1, 9 through 10. I think he it helps us shine a little bit more light on, on this idea of knowledge. So Colossians 1, 9 through 10, Paul prays this. He says, For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. If we want to live the life that Jesus has called us to, if we want to live for God truly and fully, we have to have full knowledge of him. We have to be growing in our knowledge of him. I mean, we, we have to be spending time with him. 
if we want to know how he wants us to, to live, man, we've we got to start with knowing him first. It starts there. We've got to get back to that. We've got to spend time there. So Paul prays for our, our love to grow, our knowledge to grow. The next thing he prays for is, is what I'll call insight. Insight. It's translated here in, in my version, the CSB. It says, growing in knowledge in every kind of discernment. So that, that phrase, every kind of discernment, uh, like I said, I'll, I'll translate it insight. It could also be translated wisdom. Wisdom. And we know there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom, especially in the Bible. Wisdom, in, in the sense of a, a biblical idea of wisdom, means that we are rightly applying the knowledge that we have. So it's like, I, I know these things, and here's how I apply it to my life. Here's how I live these things out. That's what we're getting at here with, with every kind of discernment. That, that's what Paul is getting to. It's this insight into, uh, now I know what God wants. Now I know his will. Now I know him, and I know how he wants me to live, or I know what he wants me to do. And now wisdom is saying, here's how I actually do that in my life. Here's how I practically apply the things that I've learned about God to my life right here, right now. That's what he's getting at here. It's also a word that, that points to moral insight. Again, it's, an, it's another way of saying, I, I know how God wants me to live. So Paul is praying that we would rightly apply this knowledge to our lives. Basically what he's saying is, is okay, now that I, 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 know, I know about God, and I know what he wants me to do, so here's how I do that right now. And you could apply that to, to any area of our lives, right? Like, what does God want us to do with our finances? Well, in, in order to rightly apply his will, we have to have wisdom to do that. How, how does God want me to care for my spouse, to treat my spouse? How does God want me to parent my kids? Well, I, I know what he says, Now, how do I do that? What does that actually look like in my life right here, right now, today? That's what Paul's getting at here. So now that I, I know things about him, here's how I should live my life. So that's what he's praying for, that we should grow in that. And the next thing he prays for is, is what I'm going to call judgment. So go back to verse 9. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge— in every kind of discernment, so that's wisdom or insight, verse 10, so that you may approve the things that are superior. And so what, what I'm kind of summarizing that is, is this idea of judgment or having good judgment, being able to make good decisions. That word for approve that we see here was originally used to de- as someone who was determining the best of something. So the best metal or, or gem or livestock even. So it's like, okay, I've got, you know, these two precious stones, which one's better? They're both good. They're both valuable. Which one's the best? Or, you know, hey, I'm trying to buy a goat for my family, so I've got two goats here. Which one's better? They're both goats. Which one's the best? Which one should I choose? That's what Paul's praying here, is is for our, uh, he's praying for an increased ability to make good decisions. So the judgment that he's getting at here, when he says that approve the things that are superior, he's not, giving, he's not asking for us to be able to judge what's good versus what's bad. A lot of times that's clear. We might choose the bad. We might not make a good decision, but we probably can look back and know, or even in that moment know, I'm going to do this, but it's probably a bad decision. I'm choosing something that's bad. Like it's, it's, it's easier to decide between what's, what's good or bad or what's, what's right and wrong or, or you know, godly and, and evil or sinful, that, that can be a little easier. What, what Paul's praying for is not that kind of judgment. What he's praying for is, is what's best. What's better? You've got two really good things. What's the best thing for you? What's the better option? He's praying for us to have good judgment, to be able to determine what is better. What's the best decision in this moment? 
What's the better thing to do in this moment when it comes to following Jesus? That's what Paul's praying for. And look, I don't know about you, but I could certainly use an increase in that. Who doesn't need an increased ability to make better and really good decisions all the time, right? I think we could all agree, yes, sign me up for that. I want that. So that's what Paul's praying for. In order to do that, we have to have these other things that he's praying for. We have to have increased knowledge. We have to have increased wisdom and insight to know how to rightly apply that knowledge in order to make the best decision right here, right now. So again, let's go back to some of these, these more practical areas in our lives. Like we could talk about our finances. We know what God calls us to do with our finances. We know that he calls us to be generous and use the money that he's blessed us with for his glory and his honor. We know that. But what does that look like right now? Okay, it's like, all right, Lord, I've, I've set aside this amount that you've given me for generosity, for being generous. Now what do I do with that? that? That's a good thing, right? We should be generous. But now we need to know what does that actually look like? Well, there's no Bible verse that says, Travis, today on this moment, you're going to give this amount to this thing or this person. That's how it means to be generous right now. But no, it takes wisdom. That takes discernment. That takes being able to decide what's best right now. What does God want me to do right here, right now? Or parenting. We, we know as parents that we are called to love our kids, to teach them about Jesus. But look, they don't give you a playbook for that in Scripture. All right, there's no, like my kids, I got two seven-year-olds and a two-year-old. There's nothing in here that says, Travis, when your kids are seven and two, here's what it looks like to teach them about me. Kendra and I, my wife, are constantly going like, okay, well now that they're getting, especially my older, like they're getting a little older, like do we start talking about this? Do we start introducing this topic? Like can we talk, like are they able to kind of comprehend these things? Like we're constantly trying to figure out what does it look like to teach them about Jesus right here, right now. That's, that's what Paul's getting at. That, that's the good judgment. It's a good thing, right? The good thing is to teach my kids about Jesus. What does that actually look like right now? I need good judgment. I need, I need wisdom and insight from God in order to make that decision. That's what Paul's getting at here. That, that's the kind of idea behind discerning and approving what's superior. It's deciding what's right, what's best right here, right now. I don't know about you, but, but walking with Jesus, man, a lot of times that's the decision, right? It's like we've got these two really good things. Now, which one do I pick? <laughs> like, which one do I go with? What's the decision here? That's what Paul's praying for, and that's what, what we need. And again, I don't know about you, but man, I could use some increase in good judgment here, right? Like, who doesn't need better judgment? And so Paul prays for an increase in all of these. And these are all connected. These are all connected, right? The more I grow in my love of God, well, then the more I grow in my knowledge of God. The more I grow in my knowledge of God, the more I grow in wisdom and insight. The more I grow in wisdom and insight, the more I grow in the ability to make godly decisions right here, right now with my life. They're all connected. And this is how we grow as a believer. This is how we grow. We, we, we are to grow in our love. We're to grow in our knowledge. We're to grow in wisdom. We're to grow in the ability to make godly decisions for my life. We are to have a growing life. So that's the first thing Paul prays for. Second thing Paul prays for is a prepared life. A prepared life. So Paul prays for us to keep on growing in these things, and then he says why he's praying for that. So this is uh, what Paul gets to in verse 10. So he says that, so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. So he prays that we would be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. What's he talking about there? What's he mean there? Well, that, uh, can we put that verse back up on the screen there, verse 10? Maybe. 
There we go. Nope. Yeah, there we go. Verse 10. So it says right there, uh, you may approve the things that are superior. And, and that word and right there, I don't love that translation. I, I wish it was a different word there, and I'll tell you why in a second. That, that word and in the original language is a purpose statement. It's a purpose statement. So really, I think it should be translated so or so that. It, 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 Paul is making a conclusion. So based on these things, here's what I'm praying for. It's a purpose statement. So what he's saying here is, is I, I'm praying that you would grow in your love, that you would grow in your knowledge, so that you would grow in discernment, so that you could grow in judgment, so that you will be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. This is why he's praying these things. This really gets to the heart of why Paul is praying. This is his ultimate goal, that he's praying for the Philippians, that ultimately this would happen, that they would be pure and blameless on the day of Christ. So really, what, what, what's he talking about there? Well, we've seen that phrase, day of Christ, already in just these few verses, right? Back up to verse 6, one of the more famous verses in Philippians and all of the New Testament. He says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So what's he getting here with that? What's that phrase, the day of Christ Jesus, talking about? Well, we see that throughout the New Testament. We also see it in the Old Testament referred to as the day of the Lord. And that, that phrase is really just kind of an all-encapsulating phrase that points to the end of history. The end of, of history when Jesus returns, and when he returns, he brings the eternity with him, right? So when Jesus comes back, the New Testament tells us that when he comes back, he's going to put an end to all evil, all suffering, all pain. He's going to have the final judgment where unbelievers are judged into eternal torment, and, and believers are judged into eternal life. And then we're going to have the, the new heavens and the new earth, and believers are going to spend eternity with Jesus. Jesus in complete perfection, right? That's, that happens at the end when Jesus comes back. The day of Christ is just kind of a, a summary statement for all of that. So when Paul says the day of Christ, that's what he's talking about, the end. So Paul is saying here that, that he's praying that the Philippians would be pure and blameless on that day. At the end of their lives, or when Jesus comes back, whichever one comes first, that they will be pure and blameless, so that word pure, it points to this idea of, of sincerity, of transparency, of like no hidden motives, no hidden agenda. And blameless uh, points to this idea of, of not, not stumbling not, or not causing someone else to stumble or, or giving offense to someone else. That's what Paul's saying. He's praying that, that at the end, at the end of our lives, or when Jesus comes back, that we would stand before him in full transparency, nothing hidden, Nothing being taken away, like none of that. And there's, there's, no, there's no hidden agenda, no hidden motives here, and that, that you're not causing offense, that you're not being a stumbling block to yourself or others. That's what Paul's praying for. Now, are the Philippians, or are we going to be perfectly pure and blameless in our lives? No, no. We, we know that's not true, right? We still live in a broken, sinful world world. We still very much, even though we're believers, struggle with sin on a regular basis. So Paul's not praying that this would happen now. Paul knows that that doesn't happen now. But Paul does know that, that when Jesus comes back, that's when he will make us fully pure, perfectly blameless. That we will stand before him as pure and blameless. And not, that's not because of us. That's all because of Jesus. But again, that doesn't mean that we just kind of sit back and go, well, Jesus is going to do the work, so I don't have to do anything. No, Paul's getting to this idea that we see throughout the New Testament, that we are to live with this expectancy that Jesus really is coming back at any minute. 
I mean, we see this all throughout the New Testament. The New Testament authors truly, really believed that Jesus could have come back by the time they were done writing that sentence. Like, they just lived with this expectancy. And I think now what, we, what we've done is we've gotten away from living with this expectancy to now we're like, oh, let me try to figure out when Jesus is coming, right? We've got all these books and movies and things out there that'll, that'll tell you, like, here are the signs. Here are the things you need to look for. Here's the things that, that have happened. Here's the things that haven't happened yet. And we can kind of, oh, uh, well, okay, let me see this. Oh, let's look at the world. Let's check the news and see what's going on, uh, you know, wherever it is. Like, what's going on with the world? Oh, has this happened? Has this happened? Oh, this happened. That means this is next. I mean, Jesus could really come back. And I'm like, no, 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 Jesus doesn't want us to think about that. That's not what he's getting at. He wants us to live with this expectancy that he really can and will come back at any moment. Paul lived like that. And that that impacted the way he lived his life. And what Paul is saying here is that when we live with that expectancy, it should change the way I live right here, right now. New Testament says over and over again that, that Jesus is coming back and that we should be prepared for his return that we should live a life of being alert, of staying awake for Jesus' coming. One of the parables he tells is in Luke 12. Luke 12, verse 35 says this. Be ready for service and have your lamps lit. You are to be like people waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can open the door for him at once. Blessed will those servants it will be those servants the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will get ready and have them recline at the table, then come and serve them. If he comes in the middle of the night or even near dawn and finds them alert, blessed are those servants. But know this, if the homeowner had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. See, Jesus wants our lives, this in-between time that we live in, right? Between Jesus' first coming and between his second coming. This is the in-between time. Jesus says that our lives in this in-between time should be characterized by being ready, by staying awake, by, by being alert, by being ready to serve him, willing to serve him, demonstrating our lives and our service to him during this time. That's what it means to be ready. Jesus says we, we should be ready because I'm coming at any point. So live like that. Live your life like I could show up at any point. And when Jesus does, like, what do we want to be doing? What do we want our lives to look like when Jesus does return? That really should impact the way that I live. That should, that should kind of filter how I make decisions, how I live my life. Man, if I do this and Jesus comes back while I'm doing like, what, what's going on? How am I living my life? A- am I living as one that is ready, that is prepared? Jesus gives us, I love the illustration that he gives. He's like, man, look, somebody's house gets broken into, if you knew when the thief was coming, that wouldn't happen, right? So if somebody told you, hey, at, at 12, 18 a.m., your house is going to get broken into, are you going to sleep that night? No. You're staying awake. You're ready. You're alert. You got the police on standby. Maybe some other things you got on standby ready to go. I don't know what you do with your time. I don't know what's going on in your house, but we're ready. Like, who's going to bed at that time? Like, ah, you know what? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. So I'll just wait around and, you know, I'm going to go to bed. And if they break in, sure, take whatever you want to. Like, nobody's doing that. Nobody's doing that. We're staying awake. We're staying alert. We're staying ready for that person to come in at any minute. We don't know when Jesus is coming back, but we are to live as if he could come back at any minute. And that should impact the way that I live here and now. And so we're going to see this over and over again throughout Philippians. The way Paul lives his life is with eternity in mind. 
His, his final destination really impacts how he sees life and lives life right here, right now. Like, this is why when he's sitting in prison awaiting his fate before Caesar, when he writes this letter, he can say, I have joy, I have contentment. How is that possible? It's not by looking at his circumstances. It's not by looking at his life right here, right now. No, he is not looking at the, at the present, at, the, at this moment right in front of him. He's looking beyond that to see what's promised to him. And that affects his mindset. That affects how he lives his life. It's the same for us. Man, if I know eternity with Jesus and complete perfection is promised to me all of eternity, well, I, I can live for Jesus in the here and now. I can face the ups and downs of the Christian life. I can, I can live with Jesus in the good times, and I can live with Jesus in the bad times, in those moments of hardship and suffering, because I know, I know what's coming. I know what's promised to me. That's how Paul lives his life, and that's how we're to live our lives. Again, this, is not, this, this time in between Jesus' comings is not for us just to, to sit around and do nothing and just go, well, you know, whatever happens, happens. That's not what Jesus calls us to. This life really is preparation for eternity. We're to live, we're to live right here, right now with Jesus as though we are in eternity. That's what Jesus talks about. When we talk about the kingdom of God coming and expanding in this life, in this world, that's what we're getting at. That we are living for eternity right here, right now. My son is, uh, is playing soccer this year. So he just had his first game yesterday, which is a lot of fun. It was great. Super hot outside. His kids were tired at the end. It was awesome. It was great. But the thing is that our, our season got delayed a little bit, so the kids have only had one practice. And there's a lot of them, like my son, who don't have a lot of experience with organized soccer. So, man, it was just like pure chaos going out there on the field. And thankfully, the coaches and the ref were like super patient. So, like, some of these kids, including my son, had like never, I don't know, you guys know this, the ball goes out of bounds on the side, like you do a throw in to throw it in. These kids had no idea how to do that, what to do. Like the ref was constantly like giving them extra time to do that. Like sometimes they didn't realize, you know, that, that you change goals halfway through the game. So like, you know, you're going this way and then halftime you go the other way. These kids didn't know. They're, they're still going back the other way. And we're all like, no, you go this way, this way now. And they're like, well, where, where do I go? Like they just had no idea. But again, they only had one practice before this week's game. Like none of these kids had any idea what they were doing. And that's why it's important to have practice, right? That's why we have practice so that we can get ready for the game. That's what this life is. This life is practice for eternity. We are preparing ourselves to live with Jesus for all of eternity during this in-between time. That's why we're to be ready and stay alert. That's what it means. This is practice for the real thing. We're preparing ourselves for the real thing. So we are to live a prepared life. And when we live with, with this eternity mindset, with the promise of eternity in view, that really does change the way I live my life and the decisions that I make here and now. That's what Paul's getting at here. So he prays for them to have a growing life, a prepared life, and then the last thing, the last thing that we see here is a filled life. A filled life. This is the, the third thing that Paul prays for. He says this in verse 11, that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So the first thing that, that this idea of a filled life that Paul says, he prays that we would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. That we would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. This means that, that, that our lives should be marked, should be characterized by the righteousness of Jesus. 
that our lives should look like Jesus, right? That we reflect Jesus in, in who we are and what we do and how we treat people and how we talk to people and how I interact with my coworkers, how I treat my spouse, how I parent my kids. It should all reflect Jesus. It should all point to Jesus. That's what it means to be filled with the righteousness of Christ. That our lives, and this is what the New Testament talks about, like when we follow Jesus in obedience, we bear fruit for Jesus. We, we look like Jesus. We become like Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Like that's, that's what our lives are supposed to look like, the fruit of the Spirit. That's what the New Testament talks about when, when living for Jesus. That's the righteousness that it's talking about here, is that our lives look like Jesus. So that, that's really kind of like a summarizing statement based on what Paul has already said, like in conclusion, like here in summary, and this is what he's saying, like based on what I've said, like here's what it looks, your life should be filled with righteousness. Your life should look like Jesus. What's important here is how we do that. Is how we do that. So Jesus says, this is really important. Verse 11 again. We are to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. What? Can we get that verse on the screen? Verse 11. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that, that what? Comes through Jesus. Comes through Jesus. That's the how. That's the means by which we do this. Right? How are we filled with righteousness? How do we grow in love? How do we live for Jesus right here, right now, in this life? How do we make godly decisions? How do we do all that? Is it, is it based on me and my ability and my own strength? No. No, it comes through Jesus. He's the one that does it. All right, and Paul's already said this in verse 6, right? He's the one that completes his work. He does it. He does the work. He does the heavy lifting. We rely on his strength, not our own. Too often when I was growing up in church, it was, yes, very clear that Jesus is the one that saves you, but it was almost, the the Christian life was almost described in in a sense that, yes, you are saved by grace, but you are left to your own strength to live for Jesus, right? You better do these things and these things and these things. You better be a good Christian. You better stay away from this and do this. And it was very much presented like, okay, this is all on me now. Yes, Jesus saved me, but he's like, okay, baby bird, kicked out of the nest, go do your thing, and you better do it the right way. That, that's not at all the picture that the New Testament gives us. That, that's not at all what the gospel tells us, right? Like if I can't do anything to save myself, if it's not by my strength that I give my own salvation, then, then it's not by my strength that I live for Jesus. It's by his strength. It's because of him. It's through him. We rely on him. We hold on to him. We cling to him. He's the one that does the work. He's the one that grows us. He's the one that sanctifies us. He's the one that fills us with righteousness. Our job is to look to Jesus and go, here's my life, Jesus. Do whatever you want. I'll follow you wherever you go, wherever you lead. I'll do whatever you say. My life, my family's life, it's all yours. It all belongs to you. That's what we're called to do. And Jesus does the work. He does the heavy lifting. That's what Galatians 2.20 says. He says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what our lives are supposed to be. That's what it looks like to live for Jesus. It's him living and working through us. And us just going, here Jesus, do whatever you want. 
lead me wherever you want to go. Take me wherever you want to take me. I'm following you no matter what. That's what this life is supposed to look like. That's how we live a life filled with righteousness. It's Jesus living through us. It's relying on him and his strength and not our own. It's trusting him to do the work, not trusting ourselves. Right? We don't just have faith in Jesus to save us. We have faith in Jesus to live for him right here, right now. So we live a life filled with righteousness. And the last thing that Paul prays for, and this is where we'll end, is, is a life filled with praise. A life filled with praise. Paul ends his prayer with a, a doxology of sorts where, where he says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And this little ending is extremely important because it just, it frames everything that we've seen so far in this letter, everything that we're going to see come after it, it is all framed through the lens of, of glory and praise to God. It's all about him. It's all for him, and it's all about him. This is what our entire lives are to be about, worshiping God. Now, I, I say that, and, and a lot of times our mind, especially mine, immediately goes to singing, right? We say worship, you think, okay, what are we singing next, right? And in a second, I'm going to pray, and I'll say the band's going to come back and lead us in worship. And by worship, I mean we're going to sing. But worship is so much more than that. Worship is so much more than that. The, the Bible calls us to have a life of worship, a life of worship. That's what uh, Romans 12 one says. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, basically means based on who God is and what he's done for us, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. What's worship? It's giving our lives to God. It's living a fully devoted life to Jesus. Everything is for him. Everything about our lives is all for him and to him. That's what it means to live a life of worship. Everything that we've been talking about ends with this, right? It comes from and to this, growing in love and knowledge, growing in wisdom and insight and, and, and being ready for eternity, being filled with righteousness. It begins and ends with worship. Begins and ends with giving our lives as a sacrifice to Jesus, fully devoted to Him. First Peter two nine puts it this way: He says, "But, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the One who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light." Jesus has brought us in. He's brought us into his family. He's made us part of his people so that we will live a life of worship to him. We will live a life, again, that just reflects Jesus in everything that we say and do, every decision, every moment of our lives is lived out in praise and worship to him. That's what we're called to do. So let us be filled with love. Let us be filled with praise to God. Let this life of devotion and worship lead us to a growing life of love and knowledge and wisdom, a prepared life, right? A life filled with, with Jesus. That's what Paul's praying for. That's the life that Paul's praying for the Philippians, and that's the life, believer, that, that we should be praying for ourselves and for one another. As I said in a minute, we're, we're going to pray and, and worship and, and do what we do every single Sunday, and, and that's spend some time in communion.
So again, we, we do this every single week where we have the elements on the table. And this is a time for us as believers to, to demonstrate our worship and our devotion to him. This act of communion is one of those, those moments that we have to, to be with Jesus and to demonstrate our love and devotion to him, right? By taking the bread and the cup, by eating and drinking, we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. We remember the salvation that he provided for us, and that should stir up worship in our hearts. That should stir up gratitude in our hearts to go, thank you, Jesus, here, take it all, Lord, take it all. It's all for you. That's what communion's supposed to stir up within us. So believer in the room, as I pray in a minute, as the band comes back up, I want to encourage you, spend some time preparing your hearts. Maybe you just need to spend some time in, in just worship and adoration and praise to God and just, you know, thanking him for who he is and all that he's done. Maybe you've kind of seen where, where maybe you, you, you've stepped out. You've started to go your own way, right? You don't love Jesus the way that you do. You, you love the world more than Jesus. Maybe you need to repent and come back in line with him. And that's, that's the beauty of who Jesus is, right? Every time we realize that and come to that awakening, he, he's always right there with us to give us more grace and more mercy and welcoming us with open arms. So turn back to him. So I want to pray for us, believer in the room, prepare your hearts. You can go to these tables whenever you're ready. And then let, let, let's sing and let's worship and praise our God and Savior. Jesus, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for who you are and for all that you've done, Lord. And Lord, I pray as Paul does here for, for myself and for all of us in this room, Lord, that we would grow in love and knowledge and in every kind of discernment and in approving the things that are superior. Lord, would you lead us to a life that ends with us being pure and blameless in your sight? Would you, would you lead us to a life that is ready and, and, and alert and awake for your return, Lord? Would we live with eternity in mind? And Jesus, would you fill us with your righteousness? Would you fill us with praise and worship for you, Lord? Would we devote our lives to you, Jesus? We love you. We thank you. We worship you today. In your name we pray. Amen.